like to turn with you this evening to Luke chapter 19. Luke and chapter 19. Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. What shall we describe the focus of this extraordinary passage? Shall we call him a fed camel trying to squeeze through the eye of a needle? Shall we call him a mafia boss who climbs up into a tree? Shall we call him the dignity dignitary who ran? Who is this man? Zacchaeus. Well, his name was rather different. When his father looked down on the newborn babe and lifted him up, perhaps at the time of his circumcision, he saw the beautiful face, the bright eyes, and he thought, this is my pure one, Zacchaeus. That is the root meaning of his name, the pure child, the pure one. His name means innocence. Well, in Jericho, I'm afraid that name was probably something of a sick joke because Zacchaeus was a very bad man. Perhaps they used his name as a kind of sarcastic taunt. Here comes the pure one. Ha ha. Because he was a tax collector. Now, there's nothing wrong with collecting taxes. It's a very important government task. We all respect that. But... In the days of the Romans, there were three kinds of tax collectors, and uh, each of them was quite evil. Each of them were men of very dubious character. The first were the publicans, and perhaps the New Testament in English mistranslates the words for tax collector here a little bit, because the publicans were those situated in Rome, and they were... Uh, given a province to farm out the taxes, in particular the customs taxes for a particular region. And they would appoint under them uh, officials called sub-magistry. And then these officials in turn, the lowest tier would be the portatories, who were the uh, men who actually stood and did the hard work of collecting the taxes. Matthew was one of these latter. But it seems like Zacchaeus was a little bit higher up the chain. He was an arch tax collector. He was a boss. He may have been quite small, but I'm sure he made up for his lack of physical prowess in his cunning. He was clever. He was astute. And he knew the price of everything, but perhaps the value of not very much. Zacchaeus was very likely a wolf. He devoured the wealth of others. He was a ruthless man. And one of the ancient Greek poets, Democrates, about 300 years before Christ, was asked, who are the cruelest of the beasts? And he gave this answer. In the wilderness, the lion and the bear, but of the beasts of the city, the publicans and the parasites. He was a very cruel, ruthless man. And sadly, the problem with this gangster is he had full lawful authority. Though he was an extortioner, though it seems very likely at some of the time he would have even used blackmail in his trade, he had the full weight of Roman authority behind him. Perhaps 
Some of the publicans, the sub-magistry, the portatories, ran protection rackets, like the Mafia does now. But whatever they did to extract money, they had the full force of the Roman army behind them. If you crossed the publicans, if you crossed the tax collectors, you could expect to have trouble from the governor. It even seems as though, from what uh, Zacchaeus says a little later, that sometimes he resorted to false accusations. And perhaps it would go a little bit like this. I heard you over talking, over, I overheard you talking the other day about Caesar. Did you say something uh, unworthy about him? Did you say something unreasonable about him? Didn't I hear you saying he was a fool? Didn't I hear you saying he was not worthy of his office? And of course, the poor person who was about to have his taxes collected would, would deny it immediately. They never said such thing, they never thought such a thing. But because the accusation had been made with Roman soldiers standing by, he had no choice but to fork out a large bribe. False accusations. Slander. Or friends. But I'm afraid it was worse than that. Very often in Matthew's Gospel, the uh, issue of prostitution is linked to the, the publicans. And it seems as though they were not just traffickers in goods, but also traffickers in people's lives. And they sold people as well as goods. Well, these were evil, evil men. And uh, perhaps they fell to darker things too. The Jews regarded them rightly as traitors, as collaborators with the Roman authorities. And just to get a sense of how outraged and angry they were with these men, think of Ukraine. Think of the cities in Ukraine taken over by Russia. And then you get these corrupt uh, men placed as mayors of the captured cities. Men notorious for being puppets uh, of the occupiers. Men notorious for their corruption and their love of money. And then I think you'll see just how much, how hated these publicans were. The disciples knew very well what the publicans were. They knew just how hateful they were. When the Lord Jesus Christ says, if a man in the church commits adultery, or idolatry, or extortion, or some other evil act, and you reprove him, and he doesn't listen, then you will treat him like a publican. You're not to eat with him. You're not to fellowship with him. You might just greet him coolly, but you're not to deal with him. You're to avoid them, and not to have company with them. So the disciples knew very well what publicans were. Zacchaeus was very successful. He was rich. He made a lot of money, but he was empty. He was wealthy, but I think it's very clear from the passage he felt absolutely hollow, absolutely wretched. He was cut off from his family, who I think, unless they were dependent on him for money, largely disowned him. He was cut off from his colleagues. It's often said there is no honour amongst thieves. And I suspect if Zacchaeus got ill, there might be a few cards of consolation and a few greetings, but every one of them would be beginning to rub their hands and say, can I take his place? He would have had no affection from his colleagues. He was cut off from his friends, what friends he had. 
He was even cut off from the Romans. Nobody loves a traitor. And the occupying powers would have had no compassion for Zacchaeus if he failed in his task. So he was a very lonely man. And being at the top of this corrupt institution made him even lonelier. But above all, he was cut off from God. His name was the pure one. But he was the very opposite of his own name. He'd lost his name. And our friend, sin does this to us. Sin robs us of our humanity. It robs us of our distinctive beauty. It robs us of our characteristics. It makes our men wimps. It makes our women butch. It robs us of, their, of our distinctive characteristics. And here Zacchaeus is robbed of his own name. But when Zacchaeus looked at the religious, the religious men, the religious practitioners in Jerusalem, perhaps even in Jericho, the Pharisees and the scribes, everything he saw about them disgusted him. He was an astute person. He knew how to weigh people up. And he could see their pretense. He could see their show. He could see how they were had a, a, an outward display of piety, but inwardly they were as ruthless and cunning as he was in many respects. He despised them. Dear friends, where can we go for help? Who can help these dry, dead bones of Zacchaeus' life? I wonder if you feel the same sometimes. Feel helpless and hopeless and despairing. Where can we go for help? Now, at this time, the Lord Jesus Christ was approaching Jericho. As we can read in the preceding chapter, he had just healed Bartimaeus in a very remarkable miracle in which Bartimaeus glorified God for his healing through the Lord Jesus Christ and cried out to him many times, Son of David! Son of David! The title of the Messiah. And Zacchaeus no doubt knew his history. He knew a little bit about David. And uh, he knew how David himself had been persecuted by the hierarchy. And I suspect Zacchaeus was very interested to know that the Lord Jesus had invoked furious rage from the Pharisees and the scribes. And everything else he heard about the Lord Jesus impressed him. There was something very different about this prophet, different even from John. John did no miracles, but this man healed the blind. He'd even been reputed to raise the dead. He'd healed lepers. Very strange and very strong things had accompanied him. And he was impressed. He was struck. Well, Zacchaeus resolved. He had to see this man. He had to see him. Perhaps here was some hope. Perhaps here was some help. He has to test him. He has to examine his character and hear his teaching. He has to weigh his, his, his worth. And there is an urgency about it. In Zacchaeus' mind, this won't wait. This has to be a priority. There is an immediacy. So he tries to come and see the Lord Jesus Christ, but because of his small height, he is blocked. The crowd blocks the way. There's such a press around the Lord Jesus Christ, he can't even see him, let alone ask him questions or get to hear his teaching. But that doesn't stop him. Or oh, friends, will anything put you off from coming to hear the gospel? Will a bit of cold weather stop you from coming to hear the gospel? A bit of rain? 
Now be like Zacchaeus. Take hold of God's promise. Take hold of the opportunity. Take hold of this wonderful message. Don't worry about what your work colleagues will say. Don't worry about the shame that your family might pour upon you. These are matters of life and death. Zacchaeus wouldn't be put off. And then Zacchaeus, in verse 4, runs. Runs. Runs before. Now, for a dignitary, for a man in high office, as Zacchaeus was, however much that office was despised, this was quite an unusual thing to do. Like a teenager, like a child, to run before the crowd. No doubt people would say, look, who's that running? Holding his clothes up around his waist. Like a, like a teenager. Those who feared him, and his authority would have depended on fear, would have lost respect for him. Those of his colleagues, what's this man doing? Running for this rabbi? What's he doing? The soldiers who had to follow his commands and his obedience would say, why is Zacchaeus in such a hurry? Why is he losing his dignity? Even the ordinary citizens from whom he had to collect taxes would have said, this is very odd for Zacchaeus, but he doesn't care. He has to see him. He has to get there. And he does. He runs ahead of the crowd and then he thinks, how am I going to see him? And he sees a tree, a sycamore tree. Relatively good branches, relatively easy to climb up. And there he is. He, he clambers up the tree and uh, pops himself up into a vantage point to look down on the saviour. A bit like a teenager. Perhaps I could ask the older ones here, when did you last climb up a tree's branches? Certainly for myself, it wasn't, wasn't so recently, I can assure you. But here is Zacchaeus determined to see the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing will put him off. Not the loss of dignity or comfort or his friend's respect. He's determined to get a glimpse, a proper glimpse of the Saviour. Are you like that? Is that your condition? Are you in earnest about seeking the Saviour? Is it a matter of life and death to find God's favour, to know his will? Oh, friends. So he watches eagerly. And the Lord Jesus comes near to the sycamore tree and stops and looks up at Zacchaeus. Eye to eye. Zacchaeus is looking down and he sees the Lord Jesus looking at him. Make haste, Zacchaeus, and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. Today I must stay at your house, perhaps even overnight, we don't know. Well, Zacchaeus had rushed ahead of the crowd, he'd rushed up into the tree, and now he has his rush to get down and rush to the house to make arrangements for this unexpected guest to greet him. Dear friends, the whole passage rings of urgency, of determination. These are not matters for weeks or days or even hours. Think about it, friends. Within a few days, perhaps a week or so, the Lord Jesus Christ would not be seen again by unbelievers. Within a week or so, he would be crucified and put to death and buried and rise again to be seen by his disciples, but not by unbelievers. Within a very short period of time, this narrow window will be shut. I wonder, friends, do you realise any delay in salvation is down to us? It's down to us. 
if we apply to the Lord Jesus Christ with our hearts for salvation, the delay is not with him. The delay is with us. He would save you tonight if you approached him earnestly and hungrily. He doesn't say to Zacchaeus, hang on, and I'll come and see you tomorrow. He says, hurry up, hurry up, come down, make haste and come down. For today I must abide at thy house. And he's calling you now. He's calling you today. Come and pray. Come and confess. Come and seek me. Do you remember Lot and his wife? God made a very special arrangement, sent two angels down to call them out of the city of destruction. And the clock was ticking. Time, the sands were sinking. Time would be very shortly when the sun rose. Four or even five cities would be destroyed. But he drags his feet. He drags his feet. He makes excuses. He looks for any opportunity. And the angels have to take him by the hand and pull him out of the city. Oh, friends, Zacchaeus wasn't like that. He came straight down with no delay. What about us? What about our hearts? Well, the disciples were absolutely astonished. I wonder if you remember when the Lord Jesus sent the disciples out, perhaps a year or so before, he said, when you go into a strange town in your twos for evangelism, ask in the city who is worthy. Who is worthy? And stay with them. Ask those who are, and the Greek has the sense of someone weighty, somebody golden, who weighs down in the scales of, uh, of uh, virtue, somebody worthwhile. But here the Lord Jesus Christ seems to have chosen the very biggest villain in the whole city, the biggest criminal of all. The townspeople were also astonished too, perhaps even more astonished than the disciples were. Well, we all know that we're sinners, they would say, but some people are sinners with a capital S, and that is Zacchaeus. He's a great sinner. He's the biggest of them all in Jericho. Or oh, friends, it seems to have been a big mistake to them. It seems to have been perhaps the result of ignorance, perhaps the result of folly. How did the Lord Jesus Christ get taken in by him? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ judges not by the seeing of the eyes, not by the hearing of the ear, but he judges with righteous judgment. He saw Zacchaeus' hunger, he read his heart, and no one was more astonished than Zacchaeus. There he is, like a camel in the eye of a needle, stuck up in the tree. What's going to happen next? Looking down with interest at the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ makes him the very centre of the stage. The very centre of everybody's attention is focused suddenly on Zacchaeus. He was astonished. He reads all of our intentions. He knows all about us. Nothing is concealed from his sight. He knows us. He reads us like a book. I remember when I was a young doctor, I saw the MR scans for the first time. I was amazed. It was almost as though you chopped the head open and there was the brain in front of you. So detailed, so precise, so exact. And old friends, he sees us like that. If you heard about these airport scanners, they're so precise, well, they're rather immodest. They dare not flash the images in public lest people see them. 
And that's how he sees us naked and open before him. He sees all about us. There's nothing of us that is hidden. Go to the Lord Jesus Christ. Go humbly. Go sincerely. Go as you are. No pretense. There's no need for pretense. He already knows all about you. And ask him for a new heart. Ask him for a new life. Look at Zacchaeus in verse 6. He made haste and he came down and he received him joyfully. Oh, friends, what genuineness, what joy in the receiving of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was excited, he was amazed, and he was delighted all at once. Who am I to have this man staying at my house? He knew the Lord Jesus Christ wouldn't pull his punches. He knew enough about him to know that. And he knows full well he deserves a stinging reproof for everything he's done, for everything he's been. And he knows how big a risk the Lord Jesus Christ is taking by gambling on this dark horse, Zacchaeus. At least that's how he might have seen it. But the more he sees of the Lord Jesus Christ, the more he is impressed with him, the more he is convinced by him. Lord, he says, Lord, Master, he says to him. Behold, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Well, it's often said cynically you should follow the money. And you can often tell the activities of a man's heart by what goes on with his wallet. And that's certainly true of Zacchaeus. Look what he's doing with his money. He's giving to the poor. In the morning, he was ruthlessly exploiting the poor. In the afternoon, he was giving back half his wealth. You might have been forgiven for being a bit confused. What's going on? <laughs> What's happened to Zacchaeus? He's giving out his money. What's got into him? But here was a public confession. And friends, there was no going back. He couldn't wake up the next morning and say, oh, it was all a terrible mistake. No, he'd, made his, his, he'd staked his flag. He'd made his position very, very clear. He admits his crimes, a false accusation. And he says, in accordance with the law in Exodus 22, verse 1, I will restore fourfold, four times the amount that I gained by theft for false accusation. Think about it, friends. If he'd made more than one-eighth of his total wealth by false accusation, which I'm sure he hadn't, he'd be bankrupt because he'd be restoring half to the poor and uh, the rest to all those he'd made false accusations against. Zacchaeus's position is not half in the world and half with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's all in. All in with the Messiah. He's forsaken it all. He's absolutely certain now that he is the real thing, that he is the truth, that he speaks words of life. What about us, friends? What about us? Can we sing with him, writer, ever, only, all for thee? Can we say with the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain? Do we pray, take me as your own, and I take you as my master and my Lord forever? Or are we just playing games? Are we just paying lip service? Or friends, look at Zacchaeus. He receives the master with joy, with excitement. He knows how much salt there will be in embracing this, he knows. But our friends, what delight. 
Now, of course, Zacchaeus was not making some kind of atonement for his sin by giving up his wealth. And perhaps I could help you by illustrating this in a rather personal way, and you'll forgive me if I give you a little anecdote. When I was a young child, wretchedly, I stole some money from one of my great aunts long before I became a Christian. And I remember this act a few decades later. It was a little box that said telephones for the blind. And in my sheer depravity, I stole that money as a young child. And the horror of what I'd done struck me later. So I worked out how much the money I'd stolen would have been after the lapse of time and with the calculation for inflation. And I wrote a letter and I sent a sort of compensatory sum back to the charity and said, I'm very sorry for the wretched thing I've done. Please accept this and my apology. And the lady very kindly wrote back to me and she said, I'm sure you have atoned for your sin. Now, I couldn't leave it at that. I couldn't possibly leave it at that. I had to write back to her straight away and say, no, I haven't. (laughs) I couldn't possibly atone for my sin like that. I couldn't possibly atone. What Zacchaeus was doing was restitution. It was a sign of his repentance. It was a sign of what was already happening in his heart. He wasn't atoning for his sin. He was showing how sorry he was for the mess he'd made. Like some of the victims that I had stolen from, some of his victims would be dead. There's no atoning for that. But Zacchaeus wanted to show his genuineness. Their friends. Zacchaeus knew that something much stronger, much more powerful, much more effective than anything he could do was needed to cleanse away his sin. And he knew the Lord Jesus Christ could provide it. He knew it. He could sense it from his teaching. And, oh, friends, he believed that he spoke wisely and clearly about sin and remission. And as I said before, just two weeks later, the Lord Jesus Christ would be held up before the crowds, crucified, condemned, killed, and buried, and then raised from the dead for Zacchaeus' sin. There was atonement. There was the only way by which Zacchaeus' sin could be washed away. But does the Lord Jesus leave Zacchaeus in any doubt? about his salvation well look at verse 9 this day is salvation come to this house for as much as he also is a son of Abraham we might say well perhaps it was better to leave such an evil man in a state of doubt to leave him in darkness to leave him in some uncertainty lest he be tempted to go back to his old evil ways but the Lord Jesus Christ is not like that at all he gives him immediate assurance Salvation is coming to this house. Deliverance, the new birth. He is a new child of Abraham. A new child, an infant of faith. And, oh friends, what wonderful peace and uh, kindness the Lord Jesus Christ brings into his home. When we become Christians, there are doubts, there are trials, there are temptations. But as we look to him... Lean upon his words and keep and grasp hold of his promises. What peace, what assurance, what comfort there is found in the Lord Jesus Christ 
for a believer. This was the very purpose for the Lord's entrance into Jericho. No doubt he came for Bartimaeus. No doubt he came for others. But he especially came to for Zacchaeus. Look at verse 10. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Or friends, here was a man who was beyond depravity. His name had become a sarcastic joke. But now it's been restored. Now it's been restored to its old original beauty. Now his father's purpose in looking on that young, supposedly innocent baby has become, become fulfilled. He is pure. He is clean. He has a heart for righteousness. He has his heart to please God. He is ready for holy service. Or oh, friends, how the Lord restores to us blessings we lose by sin. How he restores us to the Father. What about you? Do you know his presence? Do you trust in him? Do you look to him, friends, as your only saviour? Are you leaning wholly upon the saviour? Leaving your whole condition in him? Have you forsaken this world? Have you forsaken what your friends, your work colleagues will say? Are you cleaving to the beloved and him only? Would you lose your life, your wealth for him and trust only in that saviour? Then you will find it again and you will find your name restored in him. Let's pray together.